Welcome to the Grant Writing and Funding Podcast, where it's all about, you guessed it, grant writing and funding made easy so you can increase capacity, grow funding, and advance your nonprofit or freelance mission. Now, let's hand it over to your host, grants expert and author Holly Rustic, so you can increase your funding and drive impact. Hello, hello, hello. It's Holly Rustic here at Grant Writing and Funding, and welcome to another episode of the Grant Writing and Funding Podcast, which is the top-ranked grant writing podcast in the entire world. We are so excited to have you here. And every single week, I help you grow capacity, increase funding, and to advance the mission of your nonprofit or your freelance grant writing consultancy business. All right, so this week on the show, we have Mr. Patton McDowell. And Patton is a nonprofit expert and leader, and he also has a podcast, Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership. So if you're looking for something on nonprofit leadership, definitely tune into Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership by Patton McDowell. It's a great podcast, and I've been featured on there a couple of times as well, and he's come on the podcast here before. So I'll definitely have the link to that in today's show notes. And what Patton and I are going to talk about today are four main things. We're going to be talking about, number one, job descriptions for boards to lead better oversight. So if you're like, oh my gosh, I am an executive director right now, and I'm really having a hard time working with my board, it might be because they do not have job descriptions, right? And they really don't know where their boundaries are, what they're supposed to be doing, et cetera, and they're really not set up for success. Number two, we're gonna talk about how to find colleagues to support you. So as an executive director, you may feel very isolated. And Patton has a 20-year career in the nonprofit sector. He brings his leadership experience from the Special Olympics, and he's led fundraising teams at public and private universities. So he definitely has a background of working with more than 250 nonprofit organizations, being in the leadership position, and he can help you find colleagues to support you. Very interesting concept he talks about today. Number three, he also talks about the concept of a mastermind. And if you've been tuning in lately, you know we just uh, closed the doors to the grant professional mentorship. We very much support masterminds, which are groups of people to really support one another. So he talks about how you can find this as an executive director of a nonprofit. And then number four, he also talks about the fears that executive directors have. Yep, we are laying it on the table today, and I know you can, you're like listening to this in your car or while you're walking or while you're cooking or whenever you're driving, like whatever you're doing. Um, so maybe you have some time, you got your earphones in, and it's just you listening. So if you're an executive director and you have some fears, we are gonna be tuning into those fears today because if we don't address them, there's a lot of things that can come out of that that might not be positive. But if we do address them and talk about them, they really lose their power, right? They really lose their power. So I'm super excited about this episode. Patton and I always have such a great time talking. And for all of today's show notes episodes, if please visit grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash 291. While you're at the website too at grantwritingandfunding.com, please make sure that you grab some of our resources. We have a free grant writing masterclass that you can take on demand right away and learn how to write better grants, getting our grants formula. If you wanna find out how well positioned you are for funding, grab our checklist and you can actually score yourself our top 10 tips to position your nonprofit for funding. You can grab that right away and get your, your nonprofit in a place where you can get funding. Those are both free, jump on over, grab those at grantwritingandfunding.com. You can click on the start here button and you can find 
a bunch of free resources that we have. And I also want to give a big shout out. The support for this episode today is brought to you by our friends at Bloomerang. Bloomerang offers donor management, online fundraising, and volunteer management software that helps small to medium nonprofits like First Tee of Greater Akron. After just one year with Bloomerang, First Tee of Greater Akron doubled their unique donors, improved donor stewardship, and raised more funds. To hear the full story, visit bloomerang.com forward slash grant writing podcast. And that's B-L-O-O-M-E-R-A-N-G.com forward slash grant writing podcast. All right, back to our show with Pat and McDowell. Once again, check out all of our resources today at grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash 291. Here's Patton. So welcome to the podcast, Patton. So good to have Holly, you delight. Thank you, Holly. Delighted to be back, and I'm uh, eager to dive into this topic with you. Yes, and you've been on the show before. You also have your own podcast, Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership. So for all you podcast listeners out there, definitely check out that. That is an amazing podcast that I've been on too, So and it's so much fun. You're such a great host. You've been out in the space for a long time as well, so it's great to know other like veteran podcasters out there. <laughs> the feeling is mutual, Holly. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So we always have fun, but um. But really your path to nonprofit leadership, I really like how you've cultivated this. You're also an author like me, um, have a book out there and, um, to really talk about that specifically, right? And you have a mastermind as well, where you really help nonprofit leaders and executive directors really like elevate in their space, right? To really have more strategic thinking and to be more like just elevate their leadership skills. And I think that's so important because as I mentioned, a lot of times like executive directors, especially of nonprofits are wearing five zillion hats and leadership is just one that they don't even often put on because they don't feel like they can. So does that kind of resonate with a lot of the people that you talk yeah. with and nonprofits? You're right on target, Holly. In fact, it's a lonely world, I think, for many of our nonprofit leader friends. And I've mm -hmm. had lots of conversations with them that they fall in between often a board of directors who sometimes can be micromanaging them or they're disengaged, neither of which is a good thing. And mm -hmm. so, and they look the other way with their staff, they can't necessarily share all all their challenges with their own team, who in many cases, sadly, there's a lot of turnover. So the nonprofit leader in the middle is stuck. And so I know you and I both are trying to create community for these mm -hmm. nonprofit leaders and maybe give them space and time to evaluate where they're going. Because yeah. even if you've achieved that senior level position, Holly, you've worked with many of these folks, they still mm -hmm. have a career path going forward, but maybe they're trying to figure out where to go. Yeah. And you know, one thing that really stuck out that you just said, is there's two sides of that board of director kind of relationship. You know, we see Indeed. over micromanage, et cetera, where the executive director is like, I can't even make a decision and lead. And then there's the other one where they're like, I'm running after them because <laughs> I still need approvals and they're nowhere to be found. Right. right. So, exactly. and I don't have that support. So do you feel like, you know, part of the training that you do then is obviously going to be in how to communicate with the board of directors and, you know, with having these very frequent, we see one side or the other kind of board of directors, what's your recommendations then to really engage a board of directors from the executive director point of view? Yeah, it's a great question. And we often talk about, in fact, we have a, a session, we talk about the keys to effective board engagement, because I think mm -hmm. it starts number one with a, a clear job description. It's amazing wow. to me how many nonprofits have 
either they have something that the board member got their first meeting and then never looked at it again, or they don't have one at all. And mm -hmm. so we wonder sometimes why the board members aren't behaving like we want them to. Perhaps they don't truly understand. And right. so I think you've got to have my first advice is having a good basic job description that defines within three categories, the role of a board member, one, the fiduciary oversight, you know, mm -hmm. in a 501c3 environment, they do have responsibility, they need to be clear on that. And then the second section is just what I would call the ambassadorial role. You know, if you're going to be on this board, we hope you are going to be a good spokesperson. In other words, notice the external focus there. I don't need you as a board member uh, trying to decide the day-to-day -day operations of my executive role. And then mm -hmm. finally, we need to talk about, you know, the role in helping raise funds. And whether yeah. that's getting in the doors, Holly, as you know, even grant funders often have people associated with them. And you talked about it on our podcast that mm -hmm. board members can help open doors, build relationships. But mm -hmm. that's a long way of saying if the if you don't start with clarity of the board responsibility through a job description. And by the way, I recommend that the board should re-sign their job description as an annual letter of commitment. Even if they have a three-year oh, term, four-year term, make it an annual exercise to, in essence, collectively remind ourselves what the board is here to do. So it doesn't always end every difficult board member relationship, but I think it's helpful if you can be proactive as a nonprofit executive on that front. And so I love, you know, it's simple, right? The job description. And like Indeed. you said, a lot of times, like board members, like I've been a part, I'm a part of boards now. I've been a part of boards in the past. Like not all of them, a very few have actually had a job description. Like they might have like a little blurb in their articles, but there's not like a clear, like these are, our, you know, our expectations, da, 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 your responsibilities, your duties, all of the things, right? And especially exactly. like you broke it down like those three areas very well spelled, spelled out, right? So is that creating that job description then, and then the executive director is like, okay, that definitely needs to be done because they just don't have that. Is that something the ED should be doing or should they be talking to the, the president of the board of the chair of the board and say, hey, this is something that we're recommending that you do or I'm recommending. Yeah. Ideally it's collaborative, but I mm -hmm. think often we have to remember board members may be very talented and experienced in their worlds, but it's yeah. not necessarily nonprofit governance. So right. I think often even board leaders are looking for guidance and, and you as executive certainly want their approval, but you could bring a draft of like the one I described to your board leadership and say, hey, I think this would bring clarity to our role. And mm -hmm. then two things we can do. One, we can then measure progress. You know, you can create a dashboard around the job description. So the board feels like, hey, I am accomplishing what I want. And it also, Holly, allows you to set up a relatively simple annual uh, board evaluation process mm -hmm. that allows the board to see, because I want them to focus on the things they want to, and we need them as an organization to do, not yeah. get in the weeds. So uh, again, to answer your question, yes, I think the exact, if, if I were an executive director, when I have been in that role, I'm going to be proactive and draft something mm -hmm. and then, yeah. you know, push it through as opposed to waiting for the board maybe to do it themselves. Right, right. And you know, and, and that's such and why I really asked that question is because it's some people as an executive director and I'll look, let me know what your experience has been with this, kind of feel like I shouldn't 
push anything to the board because they're kind of like my boss and they hired yep. me. So I'm kind of waiting for them. And I kind of feel like I don't know if I can bring stuff to them to tell them to improve upon because it's like this weird relationship. Is there kind of some of that? Yeah, absolutely right. And it, it it speaks to the, I think the most critical relationship is the one-on-one -on -one relationship between you and your board chair. So in yeah. other words, this is not something I would announce at a meeting or bring it up suddenly because you're right, you may get resistance. But in your one-on-one -on -one meetings, which I would encourage executives to have with your board chair, that mm -hmm. to me is the time to bring up, yeah. you know, the opportunity. And then hopefully he or she becomes a champion for this clarity. Because, you know, another advantage, Holly, which board members that I speak with a lot, when they, they're asked to help recruit other board members, this job description becomes the most valuable tool they have. So if uh, they are in a recruitment mode, because yeah. when you are recruiting someone, they're like, all right, Holly, I'm, I like your cause, but tell me what it means to serve yeah. on that board. You're able to hand them something. So I use that often to sell my board's leadership so that they are like, yeah, this does make sense, Pat. And I need to, you know, put this into our curriculum. I love that. Yeah, because it is a lot of times it's very hard to get board members. And when they're in that recruitment mode, like that's a perfect thing. And even me, I always ask that too. Like, well, what is the time expectation? What are the causes? What is going on this year? What's expected? And if I don't see that clarity, it's hard because even if I want to help the cause, right. And then if I get in there, I'm not able to really do anything because I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. So I don't feel meaningful, so true. right? So it's actually a disservice if you don't have something like that, I believe. Yeah, the, the, saddest, the, the saddest conversations I have are with talented board members who love the cause of your organization, but they're like, yeah, Pat, and it, it took me a year to figure out exactly what was going on, right? Yeah. I wasn't clear how to plug in. And I lost half my term, maybe. And I think we as nonprofit leaders have to look in the mirror and say, wow, are we wasting incredible board talent because we're not giving them clear instruction? And mm -hmm. otherwise, things would be so much better. Yeah. And, and but I love that too, to use that, like, let's just first connect with the board chair, right? And like ED to connect with board chair, have a co side conversation and be like, okay, here's some recommendations to improve clarity, to improve like morale of the board or whatever. And also you can use this as a recruitment tool. Win -win, Indeed. Right. So that's it's a great a selling point. Triple crown there, hopefully. Yeah. Right. Yes. So that can really help them establish that ED to have just better leadership all of a sudden because now they have the ability to lead, right? If they have a clear board that's that's not the extreme, you know, side or you know, extreme side that we talked about as far as micromanaging or being completely hands-off, having the clear job description can actually really help have more of that balanced board involvement. So then that can help then the executive director lead, right? Because now they have support and they're Absolutely not being right. managed. Okay. So exactly. what, what other things can, okay. So now as we kind of segue into where we are kind of in the year and we're leading into end of year, you know, it's, it's coming into like end of year fundraising, all hands are on deck, noses are down. Like we are, you know, in the grind, so to speak. But there's still so much strategic networking and leadership skills that we want to, you know, keep advancing during this time. Like if we just, instead of like, it's kind of that working in your business, instead of working on your business, we still need to have that working on our business kind of percentage as well, especially as we're leading at this time. 
how can we how can executive directors um find balance at this time of year yeah it's such a great point yeah and and this is a busy time so Mm -hmm. i know you and i aren't suggesting that you can just put everything on on the back burner and focus on your career professional development but i do think again for your own mental health and well-being you need to carve out time for yourself. You know, you're going to get your job done between now and the end of the year. It's going to be busy, but can you do some things that will help you uh, feel better about your work and perhaps feel like you're making progress on your career advancement? For example, uh, I think this, this is a good time of year to always identify a couple of key colleagues. And I suggest people find two that are comparable comparable colleagues and too aspirational. And again, maybe you're dealing with some year end adventure, that it would be good to pick someone else's brain around, hey, what are you seeing this in your shop, you know, in your fundraising efforts or your leadership efforts. So I've always tried to identify and encourage those that I coach, identify two people who are doing your job at a different organization. Mm-hmm. And, and maintain some sort of healthy dialogue. And maybe it's just a 30 minute call or a zoom but maybe even more important, Holly, I think for career advancement is identifying the best in class. In other words, when I started working for the Special Olympics organization back as a rookie nonprofit person, when I went to my first conference, I asked the question, all right, who are the best program directors in all of Special Olympics North America? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was not scientific, but sure enough, uh, a couple names kept emerging. Oh yeah, you need mm-hmm. to talk to Susan in Colorado or you need to talk to Mark in New Jersey. And we all need those aspirational peers, especially mm-hmm. at this time yeah. of year. Yeah. But you need to cultivate that, Holly. I think, you know, you can't wait till the end of the year, the busiest right. time. But <laughs> so I, I'm suggesting who are your comparable peers? Who are your aspirational peers that you can build relationships with? Because maybe now is the perfect time to connect even for just, you know, a short amount of time. Oh, I love that. I love that. And, you know, and that's really important to look at because that really gets into kind of that mastermind. And I know you have a mastermind. We're going to talk about masterminds a little bit today because we both have those approaches in our, in our programs. And is that kind of the, you know, the onset is like, if you have a question, this is how I always think of a patent, like if I'm stuck in something, right. And like, say, I don't know, I have one thing, one question in my mind, I'm just stuck on If That's getting a proposal out. Maybe I'm just confused about one little thing on it and it will paralyze me from sending that proposal out. Right? Absolutely. It, it, but if I can make one call, And I can ask one question and I can get some feedback. And sometimes it's just a sounding board. Sometimes I already know the answer, but it's not like I'm allowing myself to look at it even. But if somebody's just a sounding board or just, you know, being able to have that group of people that can kind of say, well, this is what I did. This is my experience, blah, blah, blah. All of a sudden I get the answer. It could take 15 minutes, 15 minutes of question. And I can move forward and I'm not stuck in static paralysis any longer. And that's, that's the power I've really found. So like how, how in your experience has this, you know, you talk about t- having these peers you can call, like, what is the power of that? Because some people are like, I don't have time to develop relationships. I don't think you have the time not to. Not, yes. <laughs> so, yeah. Amen to that. And your illustration's beautiful because that you can't, of course, I think the lesson there is, yeah, you can't uh, not have any relationship and then all of a sudden expect this person to, you know, take your call. And so I think you have to be thoughtful (laughs) 
You know, what I did, Holly, I had a three question interview sequence in my head when I was Mm -hmm. reaching out to an aspirational peer, someone I admired or respected or really thought they were good because number one, I did my homework. So when I reached out to Susan at Colorado Special Olympics, using my example, Mm -hmm. I first looked at the great work she was doing. Mm -hmm. And this is something we can all do, you know, in this day and age, before you reach out, do your homework. And you can begin the outreach by saying, hey, Susan, you're doing wonderful work there. Would you be open to, you know, a 30 minute call or Zoom? Mm -hmm. They didn't have Zoom back in these days that I'm talking about, but (laughs) you do now and you ought to take advantage of it. So three questions. All right. Now, this is in establishing the relationship, by the way, Holly, because what I'm trying to do is establish a relationship so that I can follow up with Susan, as you said, when it's year Mm -hmm. end and I'm going crazy and I need her help. But the three question outreach to start, Susan, tell me how you got into this work. People Mm -hmm. like to talk about themselves. And Mm -hmm. the origin story is always, as you know, as a podcast, host, always a fun question, right? It is. is. And then, all right, Susan, tell me what you're most proud of in your work. Question two. Again, Mm -hmm. I find that's a wonderful question to get someone to really reveal what they do and why they are so passionate about it. That's a great question. Yeah. And of course- you can unpack it all day long, but notice I'm sequencing with some kind of easy questions that show that I'm respectful and want to learn from them. And then the third question in my interview is, is, all right, tell me about the biggest challenge you faced and Mm -hmm. how did you get through it? And that often leads Mm -hmm. to things like, all right, what resources helped you? What workshop, you know, what book, what, what Mm -hmm. advice did you get? But those three questions, I think, seldom failed me. And and it allowed me to establish a relationship to get right to what you said, Holly, that Susan would take my call. When yeah. like you, I'm pulling my hair out, and it's busy for her too. But mm-hmm. she knew that I, I think, respect her time and mm-hmm. was thoughtful about that. And so imagine if each of us and I would encourage your listeners, just do one or two of these interview contacts each month. Yeah, and I've done that every year since. And like you have built a nice community because, you know, I had that initial outreach. Now I have someone that I can call on. And I hope that's something again, as your listeners are pondering the year end adventures, maybe this is something they could also add to their plate. Yeah, I love that. And I love how simple it is. Like you've really set up this great, like, here you go. Here's your plug and play. These are questions to ask. People like to talk about that kind of stuff. I, I really believe. Yeah. And, and those questions start to develop relationships. And and yes. just like you, like where I've developed a lot of my relationships is, is with my podcast guests, right? Like, so we have, we develop a relationship because we have this chat and um, then we have, you know, we have some time in the green room and it's just, it's fun to say, okay, what else are you doing? How can I support you? Who do I know that might be good fit for your show? Like all of these things. And it's just through like conversation basically, right? So it's about- So true. And, but I think Holly, it's, it's just an underestimated skill. And I know mm-hmm. some people might think, well, yeah, but I got to keep my head down and, and do my job. But again, the power of community, in fact, the whole power the whole term mastermind is because in essence, you know, that more minds are better than one. And so right. I think we have to, as professionals, think about how we can incorporate the wisdom of others in our networks because it will pay off. Yeah, I love that. And, and, you know, even that whole concept of like the mastermind and reaching out to people. Now, I just want to like touch on one thing that might like some people is to say, um, 
you know, and I, and I hear it a lot, in the, especially in our grant writer space is, but I'm competing with that nonprofit, right? Do you ever hear that kind of like feeling maybe of scarcity or competition kind of come up? Like, should I reach out to them? Cause we're actually maybe competitors in a way. Like, do you, do you feel that or hear that at all? Yes. Sadly, that is true. Mm -hmm. um, well, I don't know if it's true per se, but pe the perception is that it is true. And, mm -hmm. and so yeah. if someone is feeling like, well, yeah, I can't open up to a colleague across town because they're a competitor. Uh, yeah, I'm encouraging, frankly, geographic diversity in your networking. So, mm -hmm. all right, we'll talk to somebody in a different community, you know, within your mm -hmm. state, within your country, anywhere. And, and maybe that gives you a safe space where you don't feel like, hey, if I reveal you know, my challenges at my nonprofit, that nonprofit across town somehow is going to take advantage of that. I don't think that's really the case, Holly, but you're right. right. Some people yeah. think that, yeah, it's, I just, it's a zero sum game and, and, and I'm under pressure to raise funds, you know, and therefore I don't want to reveal anything across town, but I would suggest you still need a safe space to share, find a community, even if it means going outside of your town. Right. And, you know, and I agree with you too. I don't think that's the case either, but there is a feeling and there's a, there's, there's something, there's validity in feelings, right? Absolutely. So, you know, so we do want to respect that as well, but to also say, you know what, um, sometimes if we get so fearful, it's just, you know, it can hold us back. It can Paralyzing. Actually yeah, yep. it can paralyze us. So yep. I like that, um, you know, if you're, if you're not there yet, you know, that nonprofit across town, you don't want to share your struggles, but I like what you're saying then reach out then, you know, we were, especially with the age of the internet and all of the, actually we're past that, <laughs> whatever age we're in right now. Whatever technology, right? But yeah, there's no reason so, we can't reach out anywhere. Yeah. And you can go to similar cause areas like you did. It was a national, um, you know, organization. Special Olympics type, right? Yeah. But, of, but even if you're not a national branch, it could be somebody in your cause area, right? Like, um, that's serving um, animal shelters or whatever you do, right? Like, you know, if you're serving something specific, you could look at that. You could look at similar size nonprofits, um, any kind of relationships that you have outside of that, right? So there's- Absolutely there's right. Yeah, yeah. And I love that. So now let's kind of like go into that talking. We talked about it a little bit, the mastermind. We talked about that can, those kind of relationships can be really helpful. Um, those aren't like- the real thing of a mastermind, though, is like more of group think, right? And I know you have a specific mastermind where um, people come together, nonprofit leaders looking to advance their professionalism, their, their skills, all of that, their leadership. And even here's one question I have for you, Pat. Executive director is the highest, like at the nonprofit, right? right? Outside yeah. of the board, right? Or CEO. Um, yeah, the title yeah, may CEO. vary, but yes, yeah. right. So if you're, where are they looking to advance to? Like, where do you find, are they looking just to advance the skills so they can grow the nonprofit? Are they looking to advance to a higher level, like maybe a more uh, larger nonprofit? Um, like where, where's that kind of trajectory, if you will? That's a great question. And, and we've had, you know, probably half of the participants in all of our cohorts so far have been executive level nonprofit leaders. I think they're looking in three different paths, generally speaking. One mm -hmm. is I love my work and I want to elevate my my voice to support yes. whatever cause I'm leading, as you said, mm -hmm. whether it's healthcare or human services or environmental. Um, so some nonprofit leaders just, I, I feel I'm proud of the work I've done, but maybe I'd like to scale it up. 
mm-hmm. and, and get involved more in advocacy on the state or national level. So there's right. the, I just want to do my job better kind of path. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one is whether I've, I've loved the leadership I've had here, but I want to go maybe to a larger nonprofit. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been an executive of a smaller scale and is it time to move to a state regional or even national nonprofit? So there's career ambition around growth. Um, even though I'm an executive now, maybe I want to be or manage or lead an even larger uh, organization. And then there's the third one that which you are particularly adept at is helping. Uh, I find a lot of the folks that I'm working with now like, hey, love my work, but maybe I'd like to coach or consult mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. or serve in a different way. I've been there, done that, but I think I could help the up and coming leader or the next generation of leader. And so they're often looking for, what does that look like? What would yeah. it mean, uh, you know, as you have helped people with, if I've mm-hmm. been skilled at certain things like grant writing, program mm-hmm. evaluation, whatever those skill sets are, I think that's what many of them are considering. And so, but they're not sure. And I think yeah. that's right, Holly, where you're helping people like, I, I kind of know what I want to do, but I'm not sure how to do it. And mm-hmm. I think that's what you and I are both trying to help these folks find a path to do it yeah. even better. Absolutely. And I love that because it's like, as an ex- and I kind of bring that up because as an executive director and CEO, it's not like it feels like a ceiling, but it's not like there's definitely room to grow. And I love that approach too. I'm like, I've been leading this nonprofit, but now it's time to get really involved in policy changes and taking this cause on a whole nother level. Like let's look at systemic things because right now we're just exactly. services. Now let's right. look at systemic change, right? So I, I love all of these different approaches that how you serve people. And then you have the mastermind. So that, let's talk about the mastermind because we've been throwing this word around a little bit here and there, but it's actually a group where you, they come into a program. So can you kind of talk about like how then you serve these people that have these three different pathways? Yeah, Napoleon Hill coined the phrase in his book, uh, Think and Be Rich in the 1930s, I believe. So the concept has been around a long time, but he was the first to coin that phrase and to kind of acknowledge the value of, particularly in his case, it was small business owners who, like many of our nonprofit leaders, sometimes have an isolated existence. So I've tried to adapt the concept to create or eliminate some of the isolation that many nonprofit leaders have. So I'm bringing cohorts each season, groups of seven or eight, uh, two of them each season. And we bring them together and give them both a, a time and space to explore their career journey, wherever they are. And kind of like you and I were talking about, some of them are like, Hey, I want to climb the ladder and find a path to executive leadership in the sector. Uh, Mm -hmm. others are not sure. They're, they're in one sector, maybe you're thinking about another, but they all share kind of a passion for the sector and a desire to get better. So my book, and thank you for referencing that, kind mm-hmm. of talks about seven concepts that I think are important to leadership. So our mastermind has seven sessions to correspond with these seven concepts. Nice. And But most of all, Holly, I mean, I'm I'm proud of the work we're doing, but like you know, if you put good people together, good things happen. And yeah. so we're facilitating conversation in a safe space that allows, and what I've found is, again, what you and I've talked about, many nonprofit leaders like, wow, it's just so good. One, to have some time carved out for myself. And two, to have other people to talk about that I can open up. So we've tried to keep it as geographically diverse as possible so that 
people can indeed be comfortable. And we're, of course, highly respectful of the confidentiality that these sessions uh, allow for. So that's been our approach. Mm. I love that. So you have seven sessions. Is that over seven weeks or is that over like how long is the period? It's about 15 weeks. So it's every other week. Our sequence are two hour sessions um, Mm -hmm. every other week. So again, we've got two groups in the spring, two in the summer, two in the fall. But the the two-week duration allows some time to digest. Mm-hmm. Of course, we say, you know, it's up to you how much time independent study you want to put into it. Um, mm-hmm. And we're also, though, assigning um, networking calls between each session. So these folks really get to know each other well. So mm-hmm. in between session one and two, if you or I and I were in the group, we would be uh, assigned, hey, schedule a Zoom or call when you can, which allows okay. us to get more deeply into the issues you're facing on your path, the issues I'm facing. And so those are ways, again, we create community. And now we're up over 100 folks that have been through the program, which extends the community even further, which is is really neat. That's awesome. So I love that. So you do on the one-on-ones then, do you just assign the people and then they stick with the same person throughout? On those? No. Good question. They rotate. So over the course of the program, I'm going to have a good one-on-one session with each of my colleagues in the group. So by the end, over the course of both the regular sessions and the one-on-ones, they really get to know each other well. And, you know, frankly, they accelerate the conversation because they're revealing, you know, their greatest challenges and fears and strengths they're trying to build upon. And thus, I think it makes the conversation conversations even more impactful. Oh, I love that. That's awesome. That's such a great, that's a, you know, it's a great skill to walk away with too, right? Like how to develop those relationships and how to talk about hard things with people. I couldn't and, agree more. We, we yeah. have an element, Holly, we call it in, in, in um, Napoleon Hill phrase it hot seat, which yep. means it sounds painful, but actually it proves to be most of the most popular sessions we have each individual during um will have an opportunity to be in the hot seat in one of the sessions, which means you get the undivided attention of the rest of the group on whatever issue you want to talk about. Mm -hmm. So this is where they bring, you know, I'm struggling with my boss, my board chair, my biggest donor, you know, a career decision, and you have the enthusiastic support of your colleague. And so the hot seat often becomes, you know, a wonderful advisory moment for Mm -hmm. our, our participants. Yes. Yeah. We do something similar in our program too. We call it the hot seat workshop. You so, do yeah. too, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's so fun. And yeah, and I, I'm a, you know, a fan, complete fan of Napoleon Hill. I've read, you know, all of, I think of Grow Rich, all of the things like done the workshop, like through it, like it's amazing. And, and, and it's cool too, because what I always go back to thinking Grow Rich is, um, when it was written right on the heels of the great depression. That's right. And you know, I I always think about that, like, wow, those were hard times. Like we haven't seen those types of hard times. You know what I mean? And totally. even with everything we've gone through, we haven't seen that kind of economic hard time. Right. So it's, it's really like interesting that there's such like, no, you can still be rich. And so many people did get so much wealth and their lives changed because of this book, even in that 
era, right? Great so point. Amazing. Yeah, amazing. I love it. So it's always so inspiring to me to read it. Um, so yeah, definitely a, a best read. Add to the <laughs> list, right? Add to our yeah, list. Absolutely, yes, absolutely. All right. So let's kind of round out then. I love what you're doing with leaders and, and even through this time, like, um, you know, of end of year, you still even have your mastermind going through this time, right? You have the exactly winter right. off. Is that and the, you have off? No, we we have a fall cohort going right now. And yep. so that, that goes right till the end of the year. Yes. Yep. So, I mean, this is still something, even like it doesn't have to be a long time, but when you have those relationships built, when you have that system built, that can really be a way to keep working on your growth, right? Even during busy times, like end of year so, and to hit that feedback. Ah, you, I'm launching this na- plan. You <laughs> nailed it. You nailed yeah. it. In some ways, the busy time is when we most need our community to help us. So do your job to cultivate it year round because it'll pay off. Mm-hmm. So these are great. And I love everything you have about strategic networking, you have on leadership development. You guys can all check out Pat. And once again, if you guys are podcast listeners, definitely go to your path to nonprofit leadership, check that out. And um, yeah, look into the, the mastermind if that sounded like something that you're interested in. Um, check that out as well as your book. You can also say, hey, let's get the book and see what these seven different pathways are and how that would be lead me through. And you can get a lot out of, a lot out of that as well. So thank you so much, Pat, for coming back on, for sharing your great knowledge. And before we round up today, I just want to ask, is there anything else that you'd like to share to our listeners or our viewers today? Holly, I'm grateful for the opportunity. Love professional development. The sector needs leaders like your listeners. And so I guess that kind of is what drives me. So if they will invest in themselves, we'll keep them in the sector because their leadership is essential. So thank you again for lifting up this topic and I'm delighted to be with you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on the show and you'll be able to come back on again in the future. Indeed. Thanks, Patton. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast episode. Once again, thank you so much for the support for this episode brought to you by our friends at Bloomerang. Bloomerang does offer donor management, online fundraising, and volunteer management software. It is amazing software to really help increase another funding strategy for your nonprofit. Yes, it should not only be grants. (laughs) So donors are definitely a major component of having a healthy nonprofit. Go ahead and visit bloomerang.com forward slash grant writing podcast for more information. And for all of today's show notes from Patton, go ahead and jump over to grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash 291. As mentioned, if you're a podcast listener, which you are, be sure to also tune into Dr. Patton McDowell's podcast, Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership. I hope you enjoyed our podcast episode today. And if you did, please do me a favor. Leave a review on iTunes or your podcast player as that does help other people find the podcast. And we love reading all of the reviews. Thank you again for tuning in and I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.